Salam. I am your host, Aya Shabi, and you are listening to I Am Nala Podcast. Salam and welcome to another episode of I Am Nala Podcast. Um, this one was very special. I had a sit down during Nala Fem Summit, um, which is our annual biggest event of the year. We bring together women leaders and feminists and male allies to be in community and to sit down and have meaningful, deep conversations around issues we care about, and also find ways to collaborate and advance solutions and accelerate and scale up solutions for those issues. So during our Nalafem Summit, I had a sit down with our guest that I will be introducing straight from Nairobi right away. My guest uh, needs no introduction. She's uh, a global leader um, from a parliamentarian to minister to deputy president of South Africa to the executive director of UN Women, one of Africa's giants and someone I personally admire. So I'd like to welcome on stage Dr. Pomzile Mlambunguka. I like to call her Mama Pomzili, so that's how I'm going to go. Um, I would like us to move through the global to regional to national to personal. So I'm going to have already four questions. Um, I'm going to try to keep on time. It's 3.30. Um, I remember when I was at the African Union, um, we convened a forum with the chairperson of the African Union Commission, and we did a motion. It was 500 young people. We put a motion to the house, and we said, the African Union is irrelevant to young people today. And there was a group um, arguing for, a group arguing against, and obviously the group arguing for won, because they hit all the points, corruption, dictatorship, human rights violations, young people being excluded. And um, I want to ask that question on a global stage. Is the United Nations and multilateral systems that you have operated in for a while irrelevant to, to our generation? Firstly, let me uh, start by congratulating Nala for being two. And doing it in such a grand and impressive way. When I grow up, I want to be you. <laughs> and also congratulate Kenya for the wonderful work um, they do in so many fronts. I certainly am a beneficiary of my association with my fellow sisters uh, from Kenya. Um, on matters of gender, uh, but also I went to school when I was much older. After I became deputy president, I realized how much I don't know. Hmm. So I went back to school. I was worried about technology and what it means for Africa and how much when I was a minister and a deputy president, we knew very little, those of us who were policymakers. 
So I went to do my PhD on um, technology, policy making, and, and special education. And there was so much on Kenya. So in all my essays, I would have a quote about something that had happened in Kenya. So yeah. Kenya. So is uh, the UN and the multilateral system relevant? Yes, it is, but not in this format. Uh, because to actually have a world where there is no way where nations come together to agree and disagree would be a disservice to humanity. To have a, a world where we are unable to bring together the finances of the world in such a way that we appropriate to nations would be a lot of chaos. But we actually do have chaos right now. The exploitation of the smaller and the poorer countries is a major concern. And, and the fact that um, even though in the United Nations it's one country, one vote, it is still unequal. Imagine that Africa is more than a quarter of the United Nations in terms of the number of member states. But would you say that with that amount of power, Africa is driving the United Nations? No. So there is something fundamentally wrong um, in the system when those who have money always win, even if they are few. I think it's the point that she was making about South Africa, that the majority of the people in South Africa are African women, but they are also the poorest. There's a minority which has the money, which still has much greater influence and power over the nation than they need to be. So there's something that we have to redo mm. again in many institutions at the international level, mm. at regional level, and at national level. Mm. I know. Yes, please. And, um, and also, we, we never got our two seats at the UN Security Council. Exactly. Uh, we are leaving now the Security Council to you guys to reform. We bleed failure. We'll try our best. <laughs> I want to move to the regional, and um, I think we, we are really wondering why, where is Africa, and why Africa is left behind on every index. When we look at our measurements, we see a little bit of progress, but we're hit by the numbers. And I want you to maybe give us more the context of Ethiopia, which you've been also working on the, the, the peace process, maybe as a case study, but Africa, like, give us the analysis of inequality, the state of inequality on the continent. Yeah. Well, there's, there's obviously a historic problem of colonization, which uh, puts us in a particular disadvantage situation. But we also are not the only ones who are colonized. And uh, we are also not the poorest in the world because we have a rich continent. Uh, Asia was uh, colonized, but I think they've done much better than us. We have a crisis of leadership. 
uh, in Africa, which has uh, created a situation where the opportunities we have are privatized by the few who monopolize power in our countries. Um, I think, I think oh, it was Obi who made the point um, about our failure uh, to take advantage of our endowment. As we speak now, we are the continent that has the critical minerals that we need for the next phase of humanity. We have young people who are therefore highly trainable and in need of jobs. Uh, if you just think of the fact that the one mineral you, you need for the functioning of mobile phone is in Africa, mm. in DRC. Mm -hmm. What the, uh, I almost uh, pronounce a swear word. I, I, I almost said, what the, uh, is that? <laughs> so there is really something that makes my blood boils. Hmm. When I think about the fact that now with all the education we have, even though if you look at the numbers of people, we still have a minority of our people who are educated in Africa, but we have a critical mass. And we belong to institutions where we can make our voices heard. We have lived in countries, not just in Africa, but all over the world, that have been ruled by men. I mean, because we have been ruled, uh, we have not been led. And the fact that we continuously give them the authority to do that over and over again with the way we all vote is a real crisis. Um, we therefore now are in a situation where I personally, I despair. Having, I've been doing this now for such a long time, I can't believe it's 2023 and this is the conversation we're having. The conversation we're having this morning on gender-based violence is the most depressing. And I know that we know more about it because it's now reported and recognized but it is also increasing, that also is a fact. And it is in every aspect of life. Whether you look at women in, in their places of work, women in the church, and, and, and now in boys, uh, women in politics, women in schools, everywhere you will look, there is someone who is violating a woman. And you think about COVID. When we had the crisis in COVID, countries stopped everything in order for us to survive COVID. Governments took away our rights to move. They closed borders. In most countries, you couldn't move. Mm. They mobilized uh, health workers who worked day and night at risk to themselves. Mm. Governments came out with resources they did not have. They were able to buy all kinds of medication in order to save us because there was a pandemic. 
gender-based violence is a pandemic. We need that level of seriousness. When will we see a country where government will put everything aside? Because that's what happened in a pandemic. We now know that governments know how to deal with the pandemic. They put everything aside and then jumped onto this pandemic and then we left the pandemic that found us there, that we, that we had before COVID. And then after COVID, we went back to that pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are now. So there's something that we need to do in order to raise the level of seriousness about dealing with this issue to this extent. Mm -hmm. Because not unless we deal with gender-based violence, any progress we talk about as far as women are concerned is neither here nor there. It's the most frequently committed crime. It's an underreported crime. It's even a less prosecuted crime. And it kills. And it is violence of men against women, which is something we have to say over and over again so that it is obvious who is the perpetrator, and who is the victim and survivor. Mm -hmm. We should also talk about the number of men who rape, not the number of women who have been raped. Because we take away the perpetrator and we highlight what has happened to a woman. We have to highlight the one who commits the crime as much as we can. Mm -hmm. So let me stop there because I can talk the whole day about that one. I know, I mean, you are leading the global agency on women's rights. And I want to really go back to Ethiopia because I think it's, it's really yes, important. Yes. And I mean, from Ethiopia's case, but also in general, what is, what's your frustration around why women are not at the table of peace building processes? Well, um, obviously, we are relieved uh, in Ethiopia that we were able to uh, have a cessation of hostilities because the experience in Ethiopia, the death of innocent people, children, women, the suffering of the, the community there was just unbearable. And we also are relieved that some of the services are slowly coming back. But my biggest frustration about the process was the absence of women. And the fact that no matter how you, you were shouting and screaming and then you had to hold yourself and say, okay, maybe let me just talk slowly and nicely so that someone will listen to me. Mm. I couldn't get to a point where I could get the parties to bring women to the table. We convened a meeting uh, with the women from all over Ethiopia. I went out of the peace process. I started my own process. Brought, got together with the women, and the women produced their own demands and understanding of the peace process. And it has been difficult to integrate it into the bigger peace process. So I worry about that and what it means for the peace process. Ultimately, a part of me says that patriarchy just doesn't care for women. Because Ethiopia has competent women who made it clear that we are not making the demands and the offers we're making 
because we are victims. Mm. We are making this because we are leaders. And as leaders, we want to contribute and to make this peace process as successful as it can be. So I would like to call on all of us in Africa to be, stand in solidarity with the women of Ethiopia to make sure that we complete this process. It's obviously important that we never go back to where we were, that uh, we support the people in, in Tigray to hold on to the peace process and moving forward, but we have to find a way of bringing the women mm -hmm. into the process. Our council member, Filson uh, Abdullahi, was a former uh, minister of women, children, mm. um, and youth. And uh, we shared last year a statement of solidarity. So I encourage everyone mm. also from your organizations to, to lend your voice. Um, I want to go to South Africa. You have been having very interesting men in power. Mm. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, since you were deputy president, I mean, you, you really pushed on the GBV front, but since then, we see more regression than actually progress. Yeah. Um, what, what happened, but also, how do we make sure when we get the progressive forces in uh, positions of power, that legacy continues. Yeah. You know, it is very frustrating. Uh, I mean, we realized it a lot during COVID that many of our victories are actually reversible. If we all can imagine the types of victories that we have made, which we have just been losing, this is a big wake-up call about the importance of institutionalizing the gains we make. And in South Africa, we were moving forward and we were very much concerned about uh, ensuring that the changes that we're making were reaching masses without deepening them enough. So it was very easy to lose the, in, the intensity of the changes we're making such that every woman who has a possibility to gain can hold on to the gains for many generations uh, to come. But also, I'm also angry that even women in South Africa did not do enough. They did uh, take major steps to move us forward, but there was a time when women were much more interested in men's battles mm -hmm. than in the women's problems. And one of the, gain, one of the uh, uh, insights I have now is the importance of not being so involved with your party such that you lose out on, sister, on sisterhood. Mm. Because you must have a relationship with, even with the women of the party that opposes you. Because in any case, why do we go into politics? It's not because you want to oppose somebody. Mm. You want to bring about change with whoever. If that person happens to be on a party that does not belong to you, if it goes, it means well for the people, so be it. It's also important us to continuously remind ourselves that if you are in public leadership, it is not for gains. Public leadership is about sacrifice. And it is not the kind of sacrifice 
that will leave you without nothing. But it is nevertheless not a place where you get rich, popular, or prestigious, or whatever. I mean, I mean this, even this thing of excellency and honorable, etc., it just confuses. It is. It really is annoying. Uh, but you can call me sometimes, but... <laughs> but really, it really messes up the, the narrative. Because people don't understand at some point that they are in the service of people. That uh, being a public servant means being a public servant, not a public boss. Hmm. And you therefore have to have to invest in giving without expecting a reward. The biggest reward you can ever have if you are in that role is making sure that the changes that you are making will hold hmm. and they will stand the test of time. And right now, I mean, for, for where we are in, the, in my country, we have to go back to the drawing board. It's, we just have not reached the level I had hoped, and I think many other people, many of you were in solidarity with us. I'm sure you would have hoped, but at this time, we would have been, you know, at, at another level. We, no, we're not there. And I know you wanted to retire after the UN, but I see you more active than ever before. Are you running for office? No, I'm not running for office. I am shocked. <laughs> Because, um, I mean, I expected that uh, when I came back from the UN, I was going to my country just to be a gogo. A gogo is a grandma in my language. <laughs> and within a few months of being in the country, it was like, yeah, <laughs> we have a mess here. This is no time to retire. I obviously expected that I would continue to work, especially for women. I expected that I would continue to work, especially for economic empowerment of the, of the people in South Africa who have not been able to gain to the extent that they needed to gain. But I just discovered there was just much more that needs to be done. Mm. So I am not uh, managing uh, to uh, to retire. Um, I mean, I, yes, I retired, but I'm not tired, as some say. But that suggests that you therefore have to keep on going. Right now, I just don't know where this, how this is going to end. But I just know that uh, it's not possible to, to sit back. And I think we also don't want to leave you with a mess uh, because you have a responsibility to take the world forward. But surely, you should be standing on shoulders that are stronger so that you can see much further. I think this time we don't need you as deputy president, we need you as president. <laughs> don't we agree? So I want to, because I see the clock ticking, I want to ask more individual questions. I mean, when I get really exhausted at the edge of giving up this mm. fight, I look at the social media of Mama Pomzile, the social media of Dr. Obi, I'm like, girl, get it together and get up and do it. <laughs> this balance of keeping moving, and I think in Council Retreat we talked about resilience, the resilience that your generation have 
I feel that because of the environment we live in, because of the food we're eating, because of the urbanization, we're getting more and more fragile bodies to fit in the earth that we live in right now. What would be your advice and your experience? Well, I just want to start by making the advice which I always make uh, to all young women and men when I have an opportunity. It's important to be part of institutions that are problem solving in your life. You should never allow yourself to live for yourself. There is no time for anybody to go chill in their home. Hmm. You have to be part of something. And this is important even for younger children at school to be in girl guides or brownies or scouts, to be in a, in a class activity, to be in, in sports, etc. It's always important to be part of something, especially to be part of something that is problem solving. Something that doesn't give you a, a payback, but something that you enjoy doing because it's, a, it's the right thing to do. For boy, for boy children, it's important for them to understand that they can be feminist. And in fact, they must be feminist. But for you young people, especially at this age, you also need to chill, guys. It really is important for you to also make time for yourselves. If you are a young parent, make time for your children. Your children are the one thing that God has given to you and nobody else. When everything else has failed, yes, maybe we, we used to say, you know, do you think when you get to heaven, they'll ask you about South Africa? No, they'll ask you about your daughter, if your daughter is somewhere in the gutters. So to walk out of a meeting and go and watch a soccer match of your child is revolutionary. Mm. To decide that your mom is sick, so we are not getting on a plane and going to make a, a, a special speech for which you'll get an award. Forget about that. So you really have to calibrate yourself in a particular way that you are someone who stands for society but you're also someone who belongs to society. Because I think with your consistency in making those uh, right decisions that make you a balanced person, we will know you are here when you are not there. Because of just how much you have invested in what the community needs. This is so, so, so important. Because as the children get older, you will need them for your sanity to continue to be of service. They will drive you crazy always in another way. But the worst thing is when we have not connected with them. When you cannot get back to a home that is embracing. I have seen it happen. It breaks my heart when I observe those kinds of situations. So, it should never, ever happen to you because we'll all lose if you are, if you are unhappy. I mean, I, 
decided not to get married and have children, but maybe we need to talk after for Mom from Zile. No, 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 no. You, and you cannot make that, that decision and Dr. alone. Obi as well. <laughs> um, I want to touch on, before we conclude, on economic empowerment and financial freedom, because also part of why we make decisions in life is because we have to pay the bill. Uh, there is a lot of money in the, the sector we are in, you know, in the um, development sector. But where is the money? We continue to ask ourselves, where is the money? And that is more the one we're accountable for. So I want you to answer it in two, two ways. The accountability, but also for young women, how do we reach that financial freedom? Well, obviously there is the financial freedom you need for the institutions you run. When we look at how much under-resourced and underfunded the organizations that are run by women, black people, generally, are underfunded. Money is racist. Money is sexist. Uh, sometimes you even bring a white person to your board because, hey, money won't look at us if we're all black. Mm. Uh, because that's just how, um, how it tends to be. It's worse when you're black and young. Uh, because you just have two of the traits that the people who have money are not as interested um, um, in. But at the same time, there is a lot of money in the world. There is more money in the world than the money we need for us to survive. And if that money is invested properly, is given properly, we could actually help to grow our economies. I mean, it is crazy that people you can count with your hands are richer than all of us put together. I mean, what is that? In fact, eight men own more health than what the What is that? Mm. So there is something in, and, and, and in these many changes that we're anticipating in the phase we're in in the world, you know, there's big changes, changes in, brought by climate change, brought by technology, uh, brought by pandemics, brought by the need for green e economies, etc. You would think that one of the changes is understanding wealth mm. and the importance of making sure that wealth is available so that we can regenerate the planet. And we cannot regenerate it with money sitting in the bank so that people will die and money will do what? So to some extent, the advocacy that we see, which by, by and large is led by young people and in large measures by young women, we have to continue with that uh, with those protests and that advocacy in order to see how much we can do to push the frontier. Mm -hmm. At individual level, I mean, those of you who are here, you are already uh, in a better position because you understand these dynamics, you are questioning them. Uh, so we want to make sure that you, you stay you remain standing, and you know that uh, you have got what it takes to generate uh, wealth and survival for yourselves. But we have to be concerned about the rest of the population, mm -hmm. because we can never feel that we have arrived and we have 
moved forward in improving the quality of life on the planet if the large majority is still as poor um, as it is today. And I think for, for, not just for me, I think for most of us here, that is the most frustrating thing. How are we going to turn things around and make sure that uh, every person has something in their stomach, has a meaningful life? Because people are not lazy. People need opportunity. How do we make sure that we bring about those opportunities? Education is one way, but it's not also always a complete way because we do have educated mm -hmm. people who sometimes mm -hmm. struggle to, to find their place. And uh, the diversity of stakeholders uh, in civil society, in public sector, who are trying to bring about changes is very much needed because we need that many ideas for us to see how we, we, we change the situation we find ourselves in. It is frustrating, mm. I have to say, but backward never. We just cannot stop now. 100%. In 30 seconds, Mama Fomzile, why are you Nala? I am Nala because I get a lot of energy in the interactions and leadership of young women. I am Nala because I want you to stand on my tired shoulders. We stand on your shoulders, please give it up. <laughs>